Graphic Nature acknowledges the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we record the show and pay our respects to the Elders past, present and future and extend that respect to other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening to this podcast. Due to the graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised. Fighting for what's right, for justice, that's what a hero does. It is my opinion, without any reasonable doubt and without any reservation, that comic books are an important contributing factor in many cases of juvenile delinquency. Comic books are pure evil. Satan himself condemns our children to the fiery depths of hell. How a particular tale can come to life in the mind of a reader is endlessly fascinating to me. We have found that all comic books have a very bad effect on teaching the youngest children the proper reading techniques. This balloon print pattern prevents that. I am not a villain. I am a victim. A victim of a society that tortured me. Vengeance will be mine. It'll be mine. It'll be mine. Welcome to Graphic Nature, a fortnightly podcast exploring the inspiring world of comic books, the culture that supports it, the creators, publishers, and people behind the printed pages and digital screens pushing the medium on into the future in Australia and the world. I'm Zoran Ilyevsky. On this episode, we're joined with Darren Close, creator of Killaroo and writer, artist of The Struggle. Welcome. Cheers. You're doing a lot of art these these days? Yeah, I just started on the Inktober challenge, so that's keeping me busy and also working on a, some lettering for other people, some toning for others and um, also some sequentials for Tim Stiles, who does mm-hmm. a book called Gorilla My Dreams. And this is a recent development where you've decided to go into into uh, comics professionally. Yeah, yeah. It's basically um, selling my services, um, which I've developed while making Killaroo, helping other local publishers. Let's go back quite a few years because I was working at a comic shop many years ago. And I think it was the first time that I saw someone do something right with a kangaroo. To be honest, uh, and, and you know the, the tone and just the way the character looked, and I thought, yeah, wow, you know, why hasn't anybody ever anthropomorphized a, a kangaroo in this way before? Because Killaroo's, uh, I think, uh, is an under underused or underutilized character. Uh, how did how did Killaroo come about? Um, originally, it was actually before that when I was at university. Um, there was a magazine for the uni, and um, there was a another cartoon in it and I didn't really like it that much and I thought I can do a bit better than this Mm -hmm. and I was just trying to think of of, um, something I think uh, it was a current event where I don't know if you remember back this is back in 95 I think there was a bit of controversy because a kangaroo got found with like an arrow sticking out of its neck or something like that and I was trying to relate that to something for students and I thought okay well maybe maybe a student shot the kangaroo with the arrow and I thought maybe I can have some kind of way of the kangaroo fighting back mm-hmm. um, and it was just a pretty stupid one page strip of yeah. just sort of uh, a kangaroo with a machine gun he wasn't so much a anthropomorphized character at that point yeah and I just thought of the name killaroo and um, it was only till about five years later where I decided to dust off that character and develop him a bit more and um, yeah I published uh, Killaroo book one back then which had that cool uh, Temple Smith cover 
Yeah, I actually don't remember. What what year was that? That would have been 2000, 2001, I think. Was it that far back? Yeah. Was it really? Yeah, I'm I was thinking like, no, no, I was <laughs> thinking it was, like, it was 2005. I distinctly remember seeing it on the shelves at the shop. Uh, there was a second book, book two. That might have been the one. With no, Jason I'm, I'm, cover. I'm pretty certain I've got number one. Okay. I'm going to have to dig it out and look for it. Well, they did generally sell quite well, I think, in most stores that stocked them. Mm-hmm. Primarily to tourists, so people would come over yeah, Australian. Right. I want something <laughs> Australian. Makes sense. And bang, so it kind of did work pretty well that way. I think. Did you do most of the art? I can't remember from memory. No, I was more um, the supervisor. I did the lettering, toning. I had artists like John Somariva mm-hmm. and Evan Jacobson, uh, Danny McGillick, a few others that um, I I basically met through the Oz Comics forums. Yep. And, yeah, it sort of was a really good way to meet other artists and yep. collaborate and that's kind of... Were you writing as well? Yeah. Oh, okay. So with the evolution, when did you start saying, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start drawing this myself? Uh, well, I mean, I'm still still battling that one. Most of the Killaroo stories that I've done have been drawn by other artists. I've taken a much more active role in sort of maintaining sort of the ongoing narrative with the character because I think with those early two books... I had really just sort of let the creators run wild with it. So yep. like John Somariva turned him into a skateboarding kid sort of thing. Yep. And while it looks cool, it just ended up being those books had... It was almost like five different characters that happened to be kangaroos yeah, rather right. than an, a, a set narrative for one character. So from Killaroo Scars onwards, I've basically mapped out the character and made sure to hold, hold onto the reins to make sure that no writers or artists take him too far off track which is which is pretty remarkable i've known a couple of cats that have done work in a killer issue and i always thought it was remarkable just how much the art was farmed out particularly to different artists was it really hard to find someone who would stay on the book well yeah i mean it's it's difficult you know with limited resources to yeah. pay them to get someone to stick around there's several artists that i would have loved to have on board for the whole thing but it's usually just like little mini stories here and there. Mm-hmm. That's what I can afford. So it's more of a token amount. It's sort of like, thank you for helping. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, I really can't finance anything beyond because just the printing of the books costs enough. Yeah. Um, Although that's come a long way in recent years. It has. Digital printing has made that a lot easier. Mm-hmm. But it still all adds up. Do you do anything online? Do you post stories? Have you ever thought of maybe taking Killaroo in a, the digital format? There's, I've uploaded a couple of issues to Comixology over the years. But I've never seen a cent from yeah, right. those because I think I, I don't think um, you get paid anything until it's like over a hundred dollars or something. Yeah, right. There is the digital books there; they're only like ninety nine cents each. More from I suppose more from the perspective of rather than selling the book and printing God knows how many, publishing it digitally, hmm. and that way you can kind of slip a bit more extra to um, to the yeah, crew. The, like I've uploaded entire issues to Facebook to the Killaroo page there mm-hmm. in a way to sort of drum up um, some interest. Like the struggle book was um, literally just a 24-hour comic challenge that I just uploaded pages as I completed them. So, Which is a great book, and we'll get back to that a little later on. Where do you see Killaroo going? Well, yeah, the, the big – there's been about a year, maybe even more, since Gang Wars 5 to Gang Wars 6 because – I am drawing that one myself, but it, I deal with a lot of um, anxiety and I think like a mixture of fear of success, fear of failure insofar as because I've established so many great artists that have done it before, 
I, I feel like there's not enormous pressure to measure up to them and I'm not sure that I do. So Does it matter though? Um, it shouldn't, but it does get in the way. I, I find it much easier inking other people or drawing or um, doing pin-ups and so forth than actually all the work is in the penciling and yeah. that's, that's where I struggle. And I've seen some of your work and, and just based on looking at the struggle, I don't see an issue with any of your art well it's mostly psychological absolutely absolutely and 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 everybody goes through a similar thing speaking to frank candeloro he mentioned the same thing you know you you do kind of it plays on your mind Mm. but at the end of the day i think you know you're doing it and that's what you should be taking home don't worry about what it looks like don't worry about what it looks like compared to somebody else Mm. because they're not in your brain they're not doing it and if they have done it well then it's just your turn yeah that's how you should look at it. I, I, I believe that anyway. Easier said than done. Yes, it is. Uh, the struggle was shortlisted for uh, a ledger award, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, just last year I did like a collected edition where mm-hmm. I, I reprinted the original book and just as many pages again that I'd drawn since then to sort of, because a lot of people sort of said, oh, well, you got rid of all your demons in that struggle books. What's stopping you? And I was like, well, the struggle doesn't end. That's it's, right. It's constant. So, yeah, that I think it just came about. I've done a couple of 24-hour comics in the past, or at least tried to. And this one, for whatever reason, just seemed to resonate. Like, I, I did a few pages. And while the challenge is running, there's a lot of adrenaline and so forth going on. You're getting a lot of feedback from each page and for for whatever reason that story seemed to resonate quite a lot with other creators Mm -hmm. and it just sort of spurred me on to finish it for one and yeah just try and um i guess humanize the process like it's not what you see on the page there's often a real challenge and and battle for every creator to get it to that stage and i guess peeking behind the curtain of how that how that feels i guess yeah, seemed to, I, I guess, hit the reader in that um, soft spot, I suppose. Yeah, you, you went into some really dark places in that book. Mm. I was actually quite surprised and impressed, to be honest. One thing that kind of uh, stood out is you chose you chose Killaroo as your <coughs> as your uh, antagonist. Mm, the demon on the shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Explain that. Explain that choice to make to make uh, your your you know your creation the. Uh, the, the devil on your shoulder i guess it was a way of of trying to like rather than just having a demon me on the shoulder and because a lot of the anxiety and everything that i felt had to do with that character mm-hmm. it just kind of made sense i've seen people watching an interview with um uh who's that guy on barry bill Hader is it mm-hmm. uh, i think he commented and he basically when he'd feel anxiety and so forth, he'd essentially have him sit on his shoulder and, and sort of give him an, a voice and a um, personality, which yeah. kind of undermined a lot of the messages that was coming. Like it was sort of well, having a conversation yeah. with yourself. And I think particularly when it's in print, it tends to just prove how ridiculous some of the things are that our brain says to us. And I agree with you, but like the, some of the stuff that you had Killaroo say to you in the book mm. was was pretty... It was, wasn't tough to read, but it was pretty confronting. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's all stuff that did... My brain does say from time <laughs> yeah. to time. But, yeah, I guess having an angry-looking character that I can easily draw anger and... Mm-hmm. And you know the 
when you're sitting there drawing it and you're adding more lines and you know around the eyes and anger and and teeth and that sort of thing could sort of um i i guess i'm trying to think of the word yeah just just made it real yeah. to a degree yeah was all the stuff that was happening in the book was it happening at the time of the 24-hour challenge or were there a couple of years difference um i probably collated a bunch of things okay that had that occurred to me and and I would say to myself from time to time, but yeah, probably most of them at the same at that time. Yeah, right. I mean, I I, I talk to myself like that fairly regularly, but um, I've been able to sort of minimise that voice and sort of acknowledge it and just go, okay, yeah, w- whatever, and just go, go and sit over there. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have time for you right now. You're better for it. Hmm. That's great. Cheers. What was it like when? You were shortlisted for the ledgers. Originally, I, I didn't get nominated from the, when I actually published it. Yep. And that really shouldn't have mattered, but it did hurt a fair bit because I think there was like 40 books shortlisted that year. Yeah, right. And I, maybe I had a, an exaggerated perspective of what that book meant because I'd gotten so much feedback for it. So, well, you know, all these people really liked it. And, and, so and it, personally what it meant to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, th- like, it was kind of a kick in the guts. So I think I might have written a few more. It's probably inspired a few more little mini stories mm-hmm. about that. But, um, you know, that's really I, – I don't like that petty sort of nature. I, I didn't really like that I that I had let it affect me in that sense. But um, it was kind of nice just to get the nod for the collected edition. Um, and, yeah, yeah. You've been creating for – a few years now. Yeah, and you, be you, on and off probably about 20, 25 years. 20, 25 years. Uh, what type of influences do you draw from? Um, what types of me- what type of mediums do you draw from? Well, I, I guess in the modern times, I, I, I do enjoy a lot of science fiction mm-hmm. and uh, the Marvel films and so forth. But um, back in the day when I was in high school, it was mainly the arrival of image comics and all of those ex-Marvel c- creators sort of creating their own thing and, and mm-hmm. forging their own destiny. And there was a real kind of energy, a palpable energy in the comic shop when those books were coming in. I and, remember. Um, or in my case, the newsagent yep. was um, nearby. And, um, yeah, it was it was quite infectious because, um, you know, I think uh, essentially inspired me to think, well, you know, you can make your own characters and you can go far with them. It doesn't necessarily have to be um, just something that you show your friends and your family sort of thing. And it, it, I think it really established for a lot of creators that Marvel and DC aren't necessarily the end game as far as your career is concerned. Particularly you know? nowadays. Yeah, well, you see a lot, of, a lot of successful Marvel and DC people then decide okay let's go sideways let's do a creator own title with image i think uh tom taylor and john Sommeriva are working on one right now which i can't wait to see um and yeah it's it's sort of you know you can work for a page rate at at, um at marvel or dc and you know if you if you reach i think probably the top two to five percent make a really good living out Mm -hmm. of it but the other 95% often have other jobs. It's just the way of the world, isn't it? So, you know, when when you're looking at, you know, niches within niches within niches of how far you have to go, 
yeah, I, I guess I was just inspired to, particularly in the digital age, there's nothing stopping anyone from making their own mm -hmm. comics and just enjoying the process. And so with, with all that image stuff, how far, how far into it uh, was your reading, let's say, for instance? Oh, I was way into it. I was collecting probably nearly every book, particularly Spawn and Savage Dragon. Savage Dragon I still collect now. Mm -hmm. um, do you read it or do you just yeah, collect that, it? Yeah, it's the only book that I constantly or, or I will always read. Like I'll, I'll pick up other books and I, as, as an artist, I tend to skim and just look at the artwork, but mm. I'll always read Savage Dragon. Yeah, right. Interesting. It's like 245 consecutive issues, same yes. writer, same artist. Yeah, he's he's uh well that was his whole deal though, wasn't it? Eric Larson was always saying that's I will never give up until I hit three hundred. No, no, that, I think um he, he he was the best way to characterize Larson from what I understand is like all these other guys as soon as they got into, you know, making their comics and the big bucks and they were like, Okay, well I need to make a movie, I need to make an animated series, I need to make some toys. And Larson just wanted to make comics. And he's just nothing's gotten in the way of that. I, d I could have sworn on. I remember. I remember reading an interview where he said he wanted to be the the first indie guy to get to three hundred, having written and drawn every issue. It's, it's possible. I'm I, pretty I, sure. I'm hell. You know, there's you a lot be. of people say a lot of things, but I could have sworn that I've read that, and I've always held that because. Seeing his artwork still to this day hmm. in that book, I stopped reading it at about 150. Or no, yeah, it was about 120, 150, something yeah. like that. Um, it was a great book and it's a great character, but I just kind of got tired. And I just no, went, that's fair enough. I wanted to try some other stuff. Yeah, Todd McFarlane's spawn yeah. just hit 300. Is, Although Capullo's and he's been, putting it up as like Guinness Book. Like no one does press like Todd. I mean, yeah, that's how he and, makes his money. You know, He's done a really good job. Oh yeah, absolutely. But, and people um, still pay him. He, he, I think he stopped after issue fifteen. So he he hasn't done. He's, he comes back every once in a while. But Capullo's been doing majority of the artwork for many years now. Uh, Capullo did pretty much fifteen to one hundred. Oh, he's not he doing moved anything. on. Then uh, he did Batman after that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I um, see. Yeah, that's where everything gets a bit sketchy because I don't read Spawn. Yeah. and I don't read Batman. So I have no idea. No, it's been quite a roster of different creators yeah, right, okay. in the Spawn book. Well, mm. there you go. You learn something every day. Uh, and any other books that you read or is it kind of a, a thing where you just don't have the time anymore? It, it's I, I do I, – I don't read as much. Yeah. I, I buy comics and I look at the artwork primarily. I, I quite enjoy Sean Murphy's work on, I think, the Arkham Knight, mm -hmm. Curse of the White Knight that I think he's doing now. But I'm going to wait till that's all finished, and then I'll read it all in one yeah, right. one block. Did you ever see his uh, Tokyo Ghost? I did. It was great book. I have no idea what happens in it, but geez, it's glorious. You haven't read it? No. Oh, come on, Darren. <laughs> have you got it? Yeah, I got you the own hard, it. I've got the hardcover. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? It's a great book. It's a really okay. good book. It's got some really interesting ideas. Hmm. Um, but and his artwork is is oh, it's stunning. It is. It's it's fantastic. So it's it's predominantly just uh, an art focus for you then. Yeah, I think so. Just looking at different artists and how they approach things and how that I can incorporate some of that into my own stuff. And let's chat about that. So. With all this, all these different influences, how much do you think do you kind of draw on, and uh, is it a, is it a case of I really like what they're doing there, so I'm gonna do that and then somehow incorporate it into my style? Like, how do you how do you tackle 
what you're seeing and then what you want to draw. I, I guess from McFarlane, I, I always got like the crazy sense of detail that he would put into stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to pull back a bit from that and it's hard if you've, if you've done that um, for most of your drawing career. You know, you just, I'll, I'll just keep cross-hatching until, until they run out of paper. That's a lot of time. <laughs> Did you ever see an artist called Tra- Travis Charest? Or oh, Ch- yes. Absolutely glorious stuff. Yeah, that it was amazing. But you'd have to wait six months for a book to come yeah. out. Yeah, uh, the thing is, I would wait for six months. I'd, I'd I, wait two years if you just did. If you give him two years to do one book, that's fine. I'll pa- I'll buy it every single time. Two years for thirty pages. No, that's fine. <laughs> if it, if it's as good as that X Men Wildcats book that he did, I'll I'll wait five years. I don't know. I mean, I I remember seeing uh, some of his earlier interiors many years ago, and I actually thought that that was better. It really? Was, yeah, he's like he's the into dark stuff. Stars stuff. Well, yeah, where he was he was kind of smashing it out, yeah. and I think it looked heaps better than. Don't get me wrong; like the polished version of his artwork is absolutely amazing, hmm. but it's not worth the wait. Like I think that was my problem with a lot of the image stuff earlier in the years. You would have to wait because it's like, yeah. well, I want the story. I love these characters. I love the way they look. I like the the their their voices. I like how everything's working. But you would wait four months yeah, it was, for an it issue. Was, it was always the Achilles heel of mm. um, image. I remember Dale Keown doing uh, Pit. I think he, he basically he did one issue and it sold that many copies that it financed him for a year and he would just play with his band. And then the money ran out, he'd put out another issue, the money had come in and he'd do it again. <laughs> like it was just See, that's these guys weren't really about a work ethic. It was just well, not all of them. Jumping in on this, you know, phenomenon that was, you know, every book was selling nearly a million copies back then. And it's amazing to see what image is nowadays, mm. which is completely different it really from, is. From, from what it was originally set out, what, what originally set out to be. Mm. But, uh, and so much, so much good stuff is coming out of there. Oh, yeah. Uh, what about local stuff? Do you ever kind of uh, check out new stuff? I mean, you're always doing conventions. I see you uh, posting online all the time, mm. Ballarat, Bendigo, Paper Cuts out in South Australia. Yeah. Um, you did uh, Home Cook Festival. You know, what, uh, what's, it, what's that like, you know, for you going out and, and doing all these conventions? Well, I, I find there's just such, a, such an amazing range of different styles in, in local books. I've been a fan of uh, David Blumenstein's stuff Great. since the early Naked Fella comics that he, mm-hmm. that he photocopied. Um, so I'll buy anything that he does. I, I love Matt Kime's stuff. I've got about seven different versions of the list by Paul Bedford. Um, <laughs> did you need that many versions? Yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> I bought every one of them. And uh, Dan Watts is another favourite. I mean, I could rattle off a whole bunch of different names, Ang- Angie Spice, etc. Like, just, just amazing uh, variety of work and and different styles, which for me, I must admit, is still on the artistic side, mm-hmm. but. I often spend more at these smaller conventions than I make. Yeah, that's a problem, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. For me, going into some of the uh, the locally made ones, I spend way more money. Mm. And I, I almost don't like going to them now <laughs> because it's you walk in and... I can't afford all of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you can't because, I mean, you know, 10 bucks, 20 <coughs> bucks, 5 bucks, And you, look, you get some really good stuff, but it's, I can't afford it. And, uh, and, you know, particularly if you're going to one almost every second week, that, mm. that can be tough. Uh, well, how has it changed over the years? Like, I'm, uh, I'm assuming you've been doing the, the cons for quite a while now. Yeah, I've seen you probably most of that time. I yeah. think the first one was 
Comic Fest, which was the precursor to Supernova. That was 2001. How's it changed? It's changed in a big way. Like it's just become, well, I think probably the change of the name from Comic Fest to Supernova kind of tells you a, f- a fair bit. Mm. So far, it's, it's, it's far more about uh, pop culture. And I'm not going to be one of those guys that's, oh, bloody cosplay ruined it. And it's like, no, it didn't. But um, How did it change for you, though? Well, it's just, it became a lot, I, I guess you're competing your, the customer dollar mm-hmm. that comes in through the door. It, it's much harder to get them to spend it on not just comics, but Australian comics. Yeah. Um, you know, competing with retailers and, and pop culture stores and so forth. It's, it's become bigger. Like, there's more people coming through the door. Oh, they're huge. They're like, huge. you know, there's ten, tens of thousands of people for some of these things. But, um, you know, a lot of them, uh, with Supernova, they've had, because it's gotten so big, they've had to, in Melbourne, they've had to go, okay, we'll have the main thing in this area and then another building over there, that's like the Artis Alley. And really? Yeah, they've separated. I've stopped them. going to them because I just, I just kind of, for me personally, I think the idea is great and I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it before. What they do and what they represent is great. People, people go there in droves. They love that shit. Oh, they love it. They love it. Yeah. And they go there and they pay the money. Out. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and depending on what you what you're into, it, there's there's almost anything there that you know you can find something for someone there. Absolutely. Uh, my my only problem with it, a lot of it is what they do with the creators and not necessarily just the local crew, which sucks what they do with them. But then, even the international crew, you know, you've got one little box off area for a couple of creatives mm. that they've managed to kind of harangue into coming over for that particular day. And, and those are even diminishing. I, I, I think um, Oz Comic Con in particular has really pulled back on how many international comic guests they get at all. Like yeah, I think right. There was one last year where they had none. Right. You know, we, we have, we've got some internationally known local creators like Nicholas Scott and Tom yeah. Taylor and so forth. But... Um, yeah, it's 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 just so much into you know B and C grade um, actors from oh, you know go the, easy there. Some of those actors are pretty good. <laughs> Come on, Darren. True. I mean, th- there's a few A listers, <laughs> but you know, just I'm talking about the B and the C guys too. Okay, but it's just like there's a glut of those people. Yeah, and obviously they're what are, are what are getting people through the door, mm-hmm. but. Um, you know, the, the table costs for the comic people go up and up and up and it just becomes harder and harder to break even, yeah. let alone make any money. So it's Yeah, I think it's a, I think in that respect it's pretty sad. I mean, I remember when there was a full shift to getting away from calling it a comic convention and now they've all kind of gone in the direction of pop culture. So it's like, well, if you want, we'll have some comic stuff there, mm. kind of comic related. And unfortunately... With the success of a lot of the a lot of the films that have been coming out over the last ten years, you know the the focus has shifted, and yeah. so now no one really gives a shit about comics, which is which is I think a gr- a great reason for people to go to a lot of the indie conventions all around Victoria, well, in in Sydney, in in SA. Yeah, I was um, going to say they're they're the best shows. Um, I, I've done Nexus Con in Coffs Harbour. Mm-hmm. Um, as you said, home cooked indie comic con, um, paper cuts like the this. I think I I did one in Shepparton as well. Yeah, right. 
and I just booked a table or put in an application for Comic Gong in Wollongong. Yep. So I've heard that's a really good show. The Gong. But it's just that's probably where most of my focus is now. Mm-hmm. How, do, how do some of those regional ones differ from, let's say, Home Cooked and Indie here in Melbourne or Paper Cuts in South Australia? Uh, well, each one has its own flavour. You know, so some of them are, are more around um, zines and more indie yep. kind of comics and others um, it's it's the full smorgasbord of different styles yeah it just but with those the table is either minimal or table cost is minimal or yeah. free yeah right so you know you sell one book and you've made a profit you're listening to Graphic Nature. We'll return right after this short message. Hey, thanks for listening. Hope you're enjoying the show. Uh, we are all over social media. Well, not all over it, but we've got a few. We've got Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please jump on Facebook and like us if you're enjoying the show, as well as following us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find all the details on the website, graphicnature.media. Thanks very much. This has been a Graphic Nature public service announcement. How do you feel you're received at, at some of those conventions like what's your what's your take on on people coming through and, and grabbing your stuff looking at your stuff um well i think because killaroo is such a visual character like there's there's a lot of people they won't necessarily stop and have a look through but they can't help but say killaroo and point to their friends look at the kangaroo sort of thing mm-hmm. so visually it's it's quite a catch i think if i was a better salesman i could try and catch some of those people walking by and go, eh, but um that's not really my style i'm yeah. sort of more like all the books are here feel free to have a look through if there's something you like prices are there you know let, let the work speak for itself mm. have you thought about introducing any any extra characters uh i do have in the stones of karangira book which I published a few years back, there was um, clues to like a new big bad character, like a ne- nemesis for, for Rufus. And mm-hmm. um, once I've finished Gang Wars, I think he'll, he might show up. Sort of like, I, I guess he's, he's, to, he's venom to Spider-Man as, yeah, right. as Stone will be to Rufus. So, yeah. where, did, where did Rufus come from? Like where did the name Rufus well, why'd you choose Rufus for a kangaroo? Well, I mean, I mean, it's it's an easy match. Um, I, I think um, the red kangaroo's technical name is Macropus Rufus, so it's and obviously, you know, it's got the roux in it, so it yeah, works right. pretty well. I think maybe it was um, growing up in the country. My mum used to look after orphan wildlife and little kangaroos and joeys, and I think she might have called one of them Rufus. Well, there might you go. Got it from there. <laughs> And the uh, the uh, well, while we're on while we're back on Rufus, uh, the scar. Now, do they? Uh, is it? I can't remember. If I have, it's been such a long time since I've read it. Hmm. Do you explain in any of the stories where the scar comes from? Yeah, in the, the literally the book called Scars. Um, that well, there you go. There's the, there's the, the clue right there. I don't the, think I've got that one actually. Okay, that that's kind of like the reboot of when I. St- that's like the issue one, if you like, of the new journey of oh, right. okay. Killaroo and initially he gets it from um, a villain who had like barbed wire on his hands punched him in the face and then it started because he's got like a healing factor and it started to heal up and um, because that was uh, a fairly traumatic moment in his history like his, his family got wiped out the Aboriginal community Aboriginal family that had 
helped rear him all got killed mm-hmm. that day so then he starts actually literally putting the scar back himself when it when it starts to heal too much with his with his fingernail and yeah, right. recreate the scar that that stones of karangira book also deals with a bit of ptsd that he has as well yeah so right I, I try to layer the character it, he, he doesn't that maybe the reason that he speaks so harshly to me in the struggle book is because i haven't really given him a very fun life he <laughs> <laughs> just deals with pain and loss all the time you mentioned good feedback or you know people receiving particularly the struggle really well um let's say with with other work that you've done uh how do you how do you deal with criticism uh generally if, if it's coming from a constructive place mm-hmm. i'll take it on board yeah. uh, and i'll probably look and see um what they're saying and if it has some merit and if i can improve what i'm doing from that um in the early days with book one and book two i uh the reason as you mentioned there was an underutilized character because he didn't have a new book for about five or ten years mm-hmm. uh, i got a fair bit of negative feedback that wasn't constructive and I kind of had to um, take a step back from yeah. the whole scene for a bit there because it just got quite nasty. Yeah, right. Shit. Sorry oh, to hear. I'm over it now. But, um, yeah, I, I think I'd, the problem is now I, I would love more feedback, but it's just uh, it's difficult to get feedback from stuff. You know, People will just buy the book and they might like it, but they might not tell me. Yeah, they, right. You know, you don't. They might not like it and they don't tell me, you know, it's just this internet age. It just becomes more and more difficult to connect to the customers and get feedback for, from them. You know, I've tried um, mailing lists and with Facebook, but I mean, Facebook is becoming less and less useful as a marketing tool as we speak. So just the algorithms, you know, you've, you've gotten people to like your page and now you have to pay for them to see it. So yeah. it, it's, it's tricky. Have you thought about maybe putting in a slip every time you sell one? Slip goes in and says, hey, if you have any feedback, send me a line. That's probably not a bad idea. Out of writing and drawing, I'm assuming you prefer to draw. Yeah, I've, I've always enjoyed drawing since I was about five. Um, but there, there are days if, when you're in the zone of writing that I quite enjoy, mm-hmm. telling stories and mapping out character arcs and things like that. I... I I don't know that I'm a particularly good writer, so a lot of um, the stuff that I do is probably more around what do I want to draw, and I'll write that into it, sort of thing. And you, have you got are you self editing, or have you got someone who's looking over your scripts? Uh, I do have a friend, um, Richard Adams, uh, who basically does most of my editing. Uh, he's done a fair bit of writing for the book as well, mm-hmm. and I'll sort of bounce ideas off him and so forth. Um, and he's written the next five issues. Oh, so Jesus. You've got I a lot really of work cut out for you. And <laughs> draw these bloody things. <laughs> you'll get there. You'll get there. What? Uh, all right. So you're writing or you're drawing. Do you, are you a, I can draw anywhere kind of person? Or do you need a set space? Like this is, this is my, this is my sanctum. This is where I've got to do, this is where I'm going to do my work. What um, type, what, how do you work? To be honest, it's, it's whatever works at the time. Yeah, I'm, right. I'm not terribly precious about that side of things I, I do have a nice drawing space at home with a proper drawing board and um i've got an ipad for, for doing sketches as well 
but I, I guess it's it's generally I can draw anywhere. It just depends on whether I'm feeling it or not. Sometimes you just don't really feel like drawing. Yeah, wish I could say that. Mm. It's like I'm talking to you right now and I want to draw, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm but I'm talking to you instead, which is just as great an activity. Well, uh, I, I guess for me, a lot of it becomes I enjoy making comics, and if that means you know if I'm not feeling like I'm drawing then i'll do some lettering or i'll do some toning or some production work or some layout work mm -hmm. so it, it's when you're making all of your comics yourself you know you several of the, the scripts that i've got at the moment i've already lettered the book but i haven't drawn a single page yeah right but and that basically i can see exactly what size the balloons are going to be and how much room to give them when i do draw you can just draw yeah. around them yeah right actually that's a, another interesting thing that i want to speak about is I often talk to people about blocking, not blocking, panelling. You mentioned earlier that you, you're working around how you letter. What's your process for that? Yeah, well, I mean, the general way is thumbnails. Mm -hmm. um, but I've also had some friends do some layouts for me as well because for me the, the blank sequential page is almost frightening. Um, so if I can get a little bit of a step up to, to help even if it's stick figures, yeah, right. I can work from that. And basically, um, thumbnailing allows you to do that. And I guess I'm just going one step further because in thumbnailing you'll like draw a balloon, and that's where the where the lettering will go. I'm actually done the lettering, so I know exactly how big the balloon will be. So when it comes to drawing the actual page, I, I literally put the lettering on the page. Because I, I, I basically... Is this digital? Are you working digitally with the lettering? I, it's kind of... I, I do the lettering digitally and, and I'll scan in the, the thumbnails and all the layouts and zoom them up to the right size. But then I'll print it out and I'll ink digitally. Uh, I'll ink traditionally rather. Right. That's right. probably my favourite part is the inking. That sounds really hard. <laughs> it sounds really hard. <laughs> it's, it's not necessarily the best way to work. But I don't know, I've never really been able to make the connection because I don't have a Cintiq. I, I only have like a little iPad to do digital mm -hmm. um, stuff tablet-wise. And I've just never been able to get the same result of inking uh, digitally versus inking with a, a brush pen or a... No, that, that part I don't have a problem with. Okay. It's the... It's the working with the letter, lettering first mm. and then going in... So you got your thumbnails, then you go do the lettering, then you go and draw everything. Is that? Yeah, well, essentially you're um, you're penciling around the lettering because now I know exactly where the lettering is going to be, mm -hmm. and it also obviously for the story it has to the balloons have to go in a particular order. So there's only so much room uh, that you have to work with those. So from that I can go okay. Well, there's a lot of lettering to do on panel two so i'll go in for a close-up on the character's face and then leave the background blank because i've because i've got to place all that lettering um yeah right it, it's what works for me it's not necessarily the best way of doing it oh absolutely um, I, I just wanted to ask you about that because that kind of just blew my mind and i was like going holy shit that sounds like a lot of work well it, it's it's probably saving work yeah um, right. okay because if if i know exactly where the lettering is going to be I, I won't draw a background that's going to be covered by yeah, that balloon. What's the point? It's a yeah. waste of time. Absolutely. Absolutely. That means probably the original art doesn't look as pretty, but it's 
I don't know, for me it's about what, what whatever works. If if I don't like how I've drawn this panel, I'll just redraw it on another page and then digitally fix it up. It's the finished comic that's important. That's a, absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Uh, well, in my opinion anyway. I prefer, you know, a finished book. Hmm. <laughs> uh, you mentioned uh, that Facebook earlier uh, is becoming more of a nuisance or a hindrance in, in instead of a help. So social media for you has been working up until this point? Uh, it, it's a limited limited um, success rate with it. Um, stuff like uh, Facebook pages seems to be almost a waste of time. You kind of have to do everything on your own personal profile page and I'll link that to Instagram and Twitter and those are the three that I really spend a bit of time with. But um, have, has, it, has it worked for you though? Sales-wise, I don't know that it's really generating much, but it's still your best avenue to reach as many people as possible. Well, that's what I was going to say. This is like, you know, it, it's it's got to help with branding and it all does. that kind of jazz. But it's it's a long game, I guess. Essentially, is the quick answer to that. Yeah, right. Every little bit you do here and there, hopefully, accumulates into building an audience that will then buy your book when you've got a new one done. Outside of promotion, do you spend a lot of time on it yourself? Um, on any of on yeah, any of them, probably a bit too much on the Facebook. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's times where you just go, okay, it's been three hours and I've done nothing, so it can be a time suck. But it's also you have three hours. Well, you know, I work for myself at home, so <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm just being facetious. Sorry. But um, it's it's uh, it's also a primary communications tool for clients mm -hmm. and with friends so um you know if, if you're sitting drawing all day you need some kind of uh communication here and there to keep yourself sane i think and you mentioned earlier about uh well, i'm still on the uh, subject of promoting that you weren't a particularly great salesman but how do you how do you go about promoting your work much in the way that uh, we discussed previously in regards to my approach of letting the work speak for itself i mean aside from doing conventions that that's pretty much it like you're not trying that's to primarily it yeah i mean it's um i i haven't seriously considered any kind of print advertising or anything like that I'll, have you I'll, palmed your book off to uh, interstate shops and stuff like that uh yeah there's and i think at, at the height i was selling to about 12 different stores around australia well that's great but so many of them are gone now yeah you know, they just shut down so the primary ones at the moment are probably D's and Impact in Canberra. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got Comics Kingdom in Sydney and primarily All Star at um, in Melbourne. Yeah, right. I've tried getting consignment deals with uh, some WA and Adelaide stores, but haven't had much luck. And uh, what about internationally? I, I occasionally get mail orders for international customers. Oh, but, that's great. But it's not something that I'm sort of promoting yeah, something pushing. That the shipping you, you usually lose money by the time you send it out yeah but is it worth it maybe yeah probably in the long run but it, it's also when you try and set up your website to do accurate um, pricing you know I think there's a lot of shopping cart abandonment where they go oh these cool I could buy these books for this and then the shipping's like three times that amount and they just go okay look at that yeah so yeah I, I my next goal is some trade paperbacks so that I can get it into libraries and bookstores and um, probably approach more 
international markets with it. So that'll be like a collected edition of the books that I've done so far. That's a great idea. So I'll probably um, do a crowdfund for that early next year. Nice. Hmm. Before we finish up, we started off talking about how uh, you're now doing all sorts of bits and bobs from all different places. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you have you thought of maybe choosing one discipline in the comics business and maybe pushing yourself on a whole bunch of cats from overseas, for instance? Um, I think probably my strength at the moment is inking, but uh, I think, I mean, this is the defeatist in me speaking. There's a lot of publishers that don't even hire inkers anymore. Like I think uh, a lot of artists are told just pencil really tight and then we'll darken it in Photoshop so we don't have to hire an inker to actually Right. That's a sad revelation. Mm. That really is a sad revelation. Because it really is an art form in itself, but um, I don't think it's particularly well valued. It's not like a, you know, the penciler is the superstar sort of thing. And there's quite a few of them that ink their own work. So, wow! I never thought of that. Mm. That sucks. But surely there would still be there would still be you know there'd still be a lot of people out there who would who get inkers. I mean, there's you know the inkers are still listed in a lot of the a lot of the more commercial uh, companies. From mm. memory, but um, not. I don't think they're particularly well paid unless right. you're Scott Williams and every page you ink is by Jim Lee. Yeah, well, <laughs> which is a nice place to be. It is, it is, but I mean, you know, most of those, ca- you know, crew like that, um, you know, without sound, without trying to sound like an asshole, I mean, his career is based around his, you know, his partnership with someone like Jim Lee. I'm not saying that Williams is not a great inker. I absolutely love his his inking work. Uh, it, it's it's funny actually. I've I've seen a video of him inking a Jim Lee panel, and a lot of the line work that I assumed he had like a technical pen and a ruler. He does with a traditional brush. Like his control is just yeah. amazing. Some of those, some of those, I've seen some of those videos too, and they blow my mind. Yeah, seeing like what I, they I can couldn't do. do that in a hundred years. Yeah, but how much is that brush? That brush is probably a you know four hundred dollar brush. Oh, it's probably a sable hair brush, but um, <laughs> that level of control. I'm is... trying to make ourselves feel better. <laughs> you know, that's why his you know his tools are amazing. That's that's why he can do such a great job. Mm. So if if that's the case. How how lucrative is your current position? Not very, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I get by. Um, I'm currently on the um, new enterprise incentive scheme. Oh, nice. Which helps uh, pay the rent while I'm trying to build a business around doing the comic stuff oh, and oh, also great. freelance graphic design. Yeah, cool. I, I don't have um, any dependents or anything like that. Yeah, right. So it, I, I can live on not much pretty comfortably. Oh, nice. Well, Darren, thank you very much. It's been amazing picking your brain. Thanks, Aaron. And thanks for coming in for this show. Thanks, Darren. No worries. That was the end of this uh, episode of Graphic Nature. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please rate and review the show on whatever podcast service you use. It'll be greatly appreciated. If you have any thoughts regarding the show, feel free to send an email to feedback at graphicnature.media. You can catch me on uh, all the social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And for information about the show, uh, visit Graphic Nature on the web by typing in your handy web browser or search engine, graphicnature.media. Thanks again for listening, and uh, you'll hear more from us in a couple of weeks. Thanks a lot. Bye. Credits! Written, produced, edited, and presented by Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio consultation and additional production. 
Archie Cuthbertson, Dan Moore. Credits announcer, Simon Winkler. Theme character voices, Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio excerpts of Senate Subcommittee on Juvenile Delinquency, Wortham versus Gaines on Decency Standards, used courtesy of New York City Municipal Archives. You've been listening to Graphic Nature, the podcast. <laughs>